It is so good to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, just love this Sunday. This Sunday and next Sunday, probably my two favorite Sundays out of the entire year. So um, looking forward to next Sunday as well. But it's because of this Sunday that we can have next Sunday, just so you know. Um, in our sermon series this Easter season, we've been beholding Jesus in the events surrounding his um, death, his arrest, his death, and then his resurrection. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that as we behold Jesus, as we consider what he has done, we actually become a little bit more like him in the process each time we behold him in his glory. And so let's become a little bit more like Jesus this morning as we behold Jesus and his interaction with Peter, who obviously we just uh, saw a video of. So let me read to you John 21 verses 15 to, uh, to 23 here. So when they had eaten breakfast, this is Jesus and his disciples, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple, that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come. What is that to you? All right, so here's what we need to see this morning is you're going to see Peter, um, his shame and his regret over his sin just become intercepted by Jesus. And Jesus is going to come in and he's going to remove that shame. But before we behold Jesus doing that, we really do need to explore how deep was Peter's shame. And what led to the shame that he was experiencing? All right. The dictionary, because it did run really, really deep. The dictionary defines shame as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. All right. So let's think about Peter. The first thing I want to tell you is that Peter, he promised that he would never abandon Jesus. Uh, on the 
night of Jesus's arrest, Jesus predicted, hey, all of you disciples, you are going to desert me. You're going to abandon me. And, and Peter's response was this in Mark 14, 29. He said to Jesus, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Then Jesus responded to Peter with these words in Mark 14, 30. Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then Peter, he comes back, he fires back at Jesus and he says, and it, and it says that he spoke more vehemently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Vehemently is not a word we typically use. I've never used it. But what it means is that somebody is saying something in a very forceful, passionate, uh, intense manner with the deepest feeling imaginable. And so Peter, I mean, he is vowing his undying allegiance and commitment to Jesus. Like, even if these other disciples fail you, I will not. Okay? Peter, he is using all the words that language had to offer to express his all-out commitment to Jesus. Now, they head to the garden. Jesus heads to the, the garden with his disciples, and this is where everything starts to fall apart for Peter. The next 24 hours are, is going to be the most horrible 24 hours of Peter's life. Have you ever had one of those days? Peter had one. Let's look at how he failed Jesus and did not follow through on his commitment to him. Failure number one. They go to the garden. Jesus, he, he's with his 12 disciples, but he asks Peter, James, and John to go with him a little bit further into the garden because Peter, James, and John were his closest brothers, right? And he asked them, will you stay watch with me and will you pray with me? Um, Jesus was in such... Uh, a difficult place that Matthew 26, 38 says that Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. So Jesus, he's in the garden and he's contemplating the horrors of the cross that he is about to bear. And in his time of greatest need where he needs his brothers more than ever to be with him, to be watching, to be praying with them. He goes back to them because he separated himself just a little bit further so he could be alone with God the Father. He goes back to Peter, James, and John. Guess what they're doing? They're sleeping. And Jesus rebukes them and he goes back and he, and he goes back to pray alone just a little bit, you know, separated from Peter, James, and John. He comes back to him a second time. They're sleeping again. And this happens a third time. You'll notice the theme of three times in Peter's story. So that's Peter's first failure. Second failure. Um, soldiers then come to arrest Jesus in the garden. And for a moment, Peter seems very courageous and brave because he takes his sword and chops off the ear of a soldier. But this was a failure, failure because it demonstrated that, that Peter failed to understand the mission of Jesus. Even though Jesus had repeatedly told Peter and the disciples, look, my mission is one of suffering. I'm coming here to die as a ransom for the sins of the world. That's my path. And even though Jesus repeatedly told Peter this and the rest of the disciples, obviously Peter failed to understand Jesus' mission. Failure number three. So once Jesus healed the soldier's ear and then was arrested, 
all the disciples left Jesus. They all fled, including Peter. Now, Peter, he leaves Jesus, but he doesn't leave him like he doesn't go too far. Because Jesus is taken to the high priest's home, and there he's put on trial. And out in the courtyard, Peter is there. And he could see Jesus inside the high priest's home from the courtyard. But in the courtyard, Peter had three, he had three opportunities to stick up for Jesus, and he failed every single one of them. Peter denied even knowing Jesus and cursed Jesus in the process. This is what we see. Uh, a servant girl notices Peter, and, 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 and there's a crowd out in the courtyard, and the servant girl tells you know, the crowd and tells Peter, like, oh, that's one of Jesus' guys, basically. This fellow in Matthew 26, 71 also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And so what does Peter do? He responds in Matthew 26, 72. He denied it with an oath. With an oath. I do not know the man. With an oath is like, I promise you, I don't know that guy. He's like not even acknowledging Jesus' existence. Like, I don't even know who that man is. And then... Another girl comes to Peter and says once again, look, this, this guy was with Jesus and, and, and what uh, Peter does and what he says in response in Matthew 26, 74. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And then immediately a rooster crowed just as Jesus predicted would happen. Now, this Greek word that's translated curse um, is not, the scholars will tell you that the, the sense of this word is not Peter saying, a curse be on me if I'm lying to you that I have no clue who this guy is. No, what Peter was doing is he was cursing Jesus, is what he was doing. And so he was emphatically saying, I don't know this blippity bleep bleep person is what Peter was doing. Now, despite all of Peter's initial bravado, here we have Jesus just miserably failing under pressure. Jesus, he's inside the high priest's house and he's being spit on and he's being beaten and he's being falsely accused and Peter is out there cursing him. Now, the scripture tells us that when Peter realized what he had done, that in Luke twenty-two sixty-two he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the depth of Peter's shame? The man who had done everything for him for the last three years, the man that he had traveled with 24-7, the man in whom there was no sin, who healed the diseased, raised the dead, right? healed the, the outcast and brought them in. He is disowning Peter, his best friend. Peter was a part of Jesus' inner circle and he's abandoning him. The wept right here means to sob and to sob violently. Peter was sobbing violently over his, shame, over his shameful abandonment of Jesus. It was the worst 24 hours of Peter's life. He had failed 
four different times in four different ways to live up to what he absolutely promised he said he would do to his best friend. You can imagine it was probably really hard at this point for Peter to live with himself. The depth of his sorrow and shame. How about you, I ask? Have you done something in your life that you are completely ashamed of? Have you had an affair? Have you had an abortion? Have you done whatever? And looking back on it, it's the thing that you try to hide because you're absolutely humiliated and ashamed by it. Maybe you struggle with pornography. Maybe you struggle with alcohol. It can be so many things. These things we do wrong and the shame, it shackles us. It is so embarrassing to us. We try to ignore it. We try to pretend it doesn't exist. We try not to face it. We try to forget it. We try to move forward and yet it is still there. And when we actually slow down enough to stop it resurfaces. And that's why we don't slow down. We keep ourselves really busy, really entertained, so that we don't have to deal with the shame of our past and how we've done other people wrong, how we've hurt people. And so, if you can think of something, you're in good company. If you can't think of something that you're extremely shameful of regarding your past, wrongs that you've committed, um, chances are at some point you're going to be. Because even if you're a Christian, we are still capable of tremendous sin. And the moment we think we're not, we're never more susceptible than we are while we're thinking that. And so let's consider how did Jesus deal with Peter in his shame? Let's behold Jesus here. All right, so first thing I want you to see is that Jesus, just like he did Peter, he is going to pursue you in your shame. He's going to pursue you. Um, in the days between Jesus' death and his resurrection, which would have been you know, tremendously horrible for Peter, as he was shackled by his shame, everything changed. When Sunday came around, Resurrect, Re, Resurrection Sunday, because we read in Mark 16, 5 through 7, when women went to the tomb early that Sunday morning, this is what they saw, a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. And Peter, what is the signal? The signals that Jesus, he is on a mission. And one of the reasons he, he, he conquered death was to seek Peter, to pursue Peter in his shame. And so he could have just said, this young man, go tell the disciples. Didn't have to add the and Peter onto it, but that's there because the scripture wants us to know that Jesus pursues 
the shameful. If you are shackled by shame, you need to know that your shame does not repel Jesus from you. It actually draws Jesus to you. He's coming for you. Second thing you need to notice as we behold Jesus in his interaction with Peter, Jesus enters into Peter's shame with him, and he will do the same for you. Uh, if you consider the text I read to you today, what is Jesus doing? Well, many people have noted that Jesus is totally recreating the scene of Peter and his failure and his three denials of Jesus. It happened by a fire. Jesus, he makes a fire. Peter denied Jesus three times, and so Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Jesus is totally re recreating the worst moment of Peter's life. Now this, on the surface, seems terrible. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus recreate the most horrible moment in Peter's life and even use Peter's sense of smell as he would have smelled that fire to bring him right back in that place where his failure was front and center with the light shining on it. Is Jesus sticking the knife into Peter and twisting it? Keeping shame upon shame? And the answer is no. Jesus, he was recreating the scene so that he could enter into that shame with Peter. And so, and this leads us to the third thing that Jesus did, that we need to be whole. He was healing, he was about to heal Peter's shame by applying his great, amazing grace and love to Peter. Here's the thing, we, we typically handle shame in one of three ways, or a mixture of all three, or two of them. So, we often hide shame. We often hide in our shame. Uh, one of our, probably our greatest fear is to be fully known and totally rejected. We fear that. And so if there's anything in our life or anything in our past that we feel if people knew they would reject us, you better believe we're hiding it. So that's one approach we take to shame. A second approach is we continually beat ourselves up about the wrongs that we have committed in our past. It's like this self-flatulation where we are constantly beating ourselves up. I shouldn't have done that. We're replaying it. We're obsessing about it. We're ruminating on it. That's one way we handle shame. And I think, by the way, that it almost makes us temporarily feel better about our shame because at least we're punishing ourselves for it. It's weird. It's twisted, right? The third way that we often respond to our shame is by trying to, in our own mind and hearts, minimize the wrong that we have committed so that we can reduce the shame that we feel. We try and justify it, oh, it wasn't that bad, well, I was in this you know, situation, what else was I to do, right? Okay, notice that Jesus, when he interacts with Peter, he does none of these things. Because these may temporarily reduce the feeling of shame in the short term, but they do not heal shame in the long term. Know that. So here is what Jesus does with Peter. Notice, Jesus didn't hide or ignore that Peter denied him. He didn't like, 
you know, obviously when Jesus appeared to Peter, it was the elephant in the room, right? Like, Peter had royally messed up. And it's not like Peter just, like, denies it. Or it's not like Jesus hides it or denies it. He addresses it. He's addressing it. He's recreating the scene. Notice, too, that Jesus didn't minimize Peter's failure. We live in a culture right now where we are so opposed to anybody feeling shamed about the wrong that they've committed that we totally try and minimize all wrongdoing so that nobody can ever feel shame. This is the culture we live in. It's not healthy. Because there is a good sense of shame. When we do wrong, there is shame we should feel. But we try to remove it altogether. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't minimize Peter's failure. He doesn't say, you know, you're a human. Ta'er is human. No big deal, Peter, that you totally abandoned me. No big deal. That's that's your mulligan. Let's just move forward. No. He doesn't do that. Jesus brought Peter's failure back. Verse 17 of our passage tells us that Peter was grieved. Why was Peter grieved? He was probably frustrated that Jesus is, he's trying to hide this aspect of his life. He doesn't want to deal with it. It's horrible. It's terrible. He wants to keep it buried. And yet, he's, he's no doubt frustrated that Jesus is not ignoring it. Jesus is bringing it front and center. You know why, why else he was grieved? That word means saddened and deeply remorseful. And so Peter no doubt was engaging in self-critical thoughts when that resurfaced. And he was probably beating himself up as he stood before the resurrected Jesus. Now, Another thing we need to notice, though, is that Jesus does not heap shame on Peter. He doesn't encourage, nor does he encourage Peter to beat himself up about the mistake that he made. What does Jesus do? He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Peter says, you know that I love you. Jesus' response was not, well, you sure didn't show me you loved me. You denied me, and you weren't there for me. What do you mean you love me? Obviously, you don't, Peter. You should feel horrible about yourself. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, feed my lambs. He asked Peter again, do you love me? Jesus' response was not. And when Peter said, you know, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus' response was not. Then why did you deny me a second time? And a third time? Maybe the first time you messed up, right? You were under pressure. You were scared. And so out of your fear, you messed up and said you didn't know me. But if you did it a second and a third time, that's intentional. Why'd you do it? You coward? No, Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he asked Peter a third time, do you love me? And of course, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing? Here's what he was doing. Jesus recalled the full weight of Peter's shame so that he could dismantle it with the full weight of his grace and love. That's what Peter was doing, or Jesus was doing to Peter. Jesus was reconciling the relationship. He was giving Peter the opportunity to three times affirm his love for Jesus. And when Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, what is he doing? If you read between the lines, Jesus is saying to Peter, I love you. You are forgiven. 
I believe in you. Let's move forward. I'm not going to stay in the past. I am going to make you new. I am making you new. You see, what Jesus was doing in that very moment with Peter, and it's the fourth thing we behold here, is that Jesus was healing Peter's shame by giving him a new identity. And he wants to heal your shame by giving you a new identity too. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, tend, keep. This is pastor talk. What Jesus is doing, he's like, you know Peter the failure? Peter the coward? is no longer that. Peter is now the leader, the brave, the bold, the courageous. And he is going to lead my church, the very movement that will radically transform the world. And 2,000 years later, there's going to be a group of people in Maslin, Ohio, coming to celebrate Jesus' resurrection because Peter is now the leader of this new Jesus movement. And 2,000 years later, one on three people on planet Earth will claim to know and follow Jesus. What? Peter the failure? Oh, no. He is now Peter the leader, Peter the bold, Peter the brave. A new identity Jesus was giving to Peter. And we do know that he was changed. Peter was deeply changed at the heart level. And here is why. You may be thinking, well, man, it sounds like Jesus just turned a blind eye to Peter's sin. He just loves him, gives him grace. Like, isn't that what wicked kings do? I mean, wicked leaders, they see people totally failing and doing wrong, and they turn a blind eye to it. Is that what Jesus is doing here? And the answer is no. Because... Jesus, what did he do just a few days before? He died the worst death imaginable. Why? Because on that cross, all of Peter's repeated failure was placed on him. All of Peter's shame was placed on him. And Jesus, he absorbed all the penalty for all of that wrongdoing so that God could still be just and punish sin and evil, yet extend grace and mercy to Peter. This is the amazing gospel message right here. This is the good news. And so while forgiveness and mercy and grace was free to Peter, oh, how costly it was to Jesus. And yet, God remains just because he punished sin. And yet, Peter was forgiven and he was extended mercy and love. Grace and justice, mercy and justice meet in Jesus' death. It's, it's remarkable. You couldn't think this stuff up. And we know that when Peter realized, this is what so radically changed Peter. The moment he could understand that he was more sinful and flawed than he ever dared believe, but as the sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus' resurrection for him proved he was more accepted and loved by Jesus than he ever dared hope, that was the power that radically changed him from the inside out. You see, if Jesus would have ignored Peter's sin, if Jesus would have said, oh, it's no big deal, Peter would have not been radically changed 
from the inside out. You will not be radically changed from the inside out if you do not understand the depth of your sin. Man, you are more wicked and flawed than you ever dared believe. And when that becomes true to your heart, and that combined with yet you are simultaneously more loved and accepted in Christ through faith in Him than you ever dared hope, when that becomes real to you, your heart, it will change your life. But until that happens, it's not. Has that become real to your heart? Do you see this? That's the power of the gospel. And we, in Peter's life, the scriptures attest to the fact that he was a radically transformed person. And that he lived out a life in accordance with his new identity. In Acts 3.19, you have Peter in the very same city preaching to the very same people that crucified Jesus. And you have him saying to the crowd, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter had experienced it. The refreshment of shame gone, sin paid for, new creation, new identity, the joy, the refreshment. You see, where our failure and shame run deep, God's amazing grace and extravagant love that was extremely costly to him runs deeper still so that times of refreshing may come to us. Because Jesus is not a dead leader of some random movement 2,000 years ago, but the risen Savior of the world. He lives now to enter, He pursue you in your shame, enter into it with you. He wants to apply his amazing grace and love to heal it and to remove it from you. And he wants to give you a new identity in which you partner with him to be an agent of his to remove shame from other people. There are so many people that are walking around with all kinds of shame. And they're shackled by it. And they're not living out the life God called them to. And they're not becoming the person God created them to be because they are shackled by their shame. And God is calling us, once we are rescued, to be rescuers. That's what he's calling us to be. And so there is a question, and then I'll wrap up. Uh, two things. Sorry, I'm sorry. But first thing is this. Have you, have you repented and believed? Have you repented? What does it mean to repent? It means to own the fact that you are so broken and deeply flawed and sinful, and you have done so many wrong things, you can possibly, it's impossible to count them. That's what it means to own it. What does it mean to turn? That's, what, that's the second component of repent. It means I'm going to turn away from living a life apart from God or keeping God at an arm's length. Where it's like, yeah, I'll have Jesus be my consultant and I'll occasionally, maybe when things get really bad in my life, I'll ask for his help. But I'm keeping him at a distance too. No, I'm turning to trust him as my Lord as my Savior, and I'm trusting that He's going to give me a new identity, and He's going to enable me to obey all that He commanded. That's what it means to repent and believe. Have you done it? That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is this. Are you a shame remover, 
Or are you a shame producer? Are you a shame remover or a shame producer? You need to ask yourself that. If you are a shame producer and you're, you contribute to a heaping shame upon shame, that's not the way of Jesus. We need to be shame removers. We need to partner with Jesus for that vocation. We are all called to be that. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. All right. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. John 8.36, therefore if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Philippians 3.13 3, and 14. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us, that you are such a God of justice and do not turn a blind eye to evil. And yet you are such a God of grace and mercy and love that you went to the cross to pay the penalty we owed for our wrongdoing so that shame, you could, you could bear our shame, absorb it all, kill it and bury it in the grave. And that you rose from the dead to give us a new life, a new identity in which we actually become all that you created us to be. And that we get to partner with you to see shame removed from people. We praise you for being that kind of God. Lord, I pray that if there are people here today, that the truth that they are more sinful than they realized, and yet more accepted and loved by you, in Christ, may that become real to their heart and may that change the course of their life forever, even into eternity. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.